God's word for us today as we continue in our Follow Me Discipleship series is from the second epistle or second letter of John. It only has one chapter, so we don't use chapter numbers, and then we just use verse numbers. So it's 2 John, verses 5 and 6, and they talk about love. Here they are. John writes, and now, dear lady, that's his metaphor for the group of believers there. He's referring to them like we refer to a ship as a, as a her or a she. Um, he's referring to this group of people. He calls this group the lady. So, and now, dear lady, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands, God's commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. This is God's word. Love is arguably the most powerful and passionate of all truths. Last week we talked about truth. This week about love. The greatest of truths is love. But it's not only the most powerful and the most passionate, it's also the most complicated and confusing love. I mean, God's word calls it the greatest of all spiritual traits, and yet our behavior doesn't always show it that way. I mean, we, church people can be the most loving people on the planet, and, and unchurched people can be attracted to the church because of our love. The church for centuries has built hospitals, and some of the best hospitals are some of the best places that, that people can receive care, hospital care, and they were started by churches. People can come to church and, and be part of the community and feel loved and find a place. And yet, the number one reason why unchurched people don't want to come to church is because of the lack of love. They can see Christians, believers, fighting with each other. They can see their Facebook posts angry at the world. They can see unloving Christians and, and call us hypocrites. And say, well, if that's how Christians act, I don't want to be one. And they're right. Religious thinkers and secular thinkers say that love is really at the core of our need. And yet, again, it's, it's complicated, it's confusing. Children act out against parents, whether they're two years old or 20 years old, parents whom they desperately love and need parental love, and, and kids act out against mom and dad. Well, I don't get that. See, a love is... Complicated and confusing. So what exactly is loving behavior? A man has an adulterous relationship and calls it love, and his pastor calls it sin. A wife picks up the pieces after her alcoholic husband again and calls it love, and AA calls it codependency. Parents give their kid everything that little boy or girl wants and call it love. And teachers call it irresponsible and spoiled. 
right? Love is confusing and it's complicated. What exactly is loving behavior? Maybe a a pinnacle of love is when a, a man and a woman fall in love and they fall so deeply in love that they want to spend the rest of their lives together and make babies, and, and they get married, and they just think, this, this is the greatest, and they're, they're just head over heels in love with each other. Listen to what uh, Gary Chapman writes in his book, The Five Love Languages, about what happens when you get married. Our eyes are opened, and we see the warts of the other person. We recognize that some of his or her personality traits are actually irritating to us. Her behavior patterns are annoying. He has the capacity for hurt and anger, perhaps even harsh words, and he's so critical in his judgments. Welcome to the real world of marriage, where hairs are always on the sink and little white spots on the mirror, where arguments center on which way the toilet paper comes off. In this world, a look can hurt and a word can crush. Intimate lovers can become enemies, and marriage a battlefield. What's the problem? Love is not the problem. Marriage is not the problem. The problem is undefined love. The problem is each person coming with their own assumptions about what love is. We say that love makes the world go around, and yet love causes wars around the world. Why? Because one country or group has its own love for its own interests and puts those above the wider good. And the same happens in a marriage. So what's the answer? Again, what's the problem? The problem isn't love. The problem isn't marriage. The problem isn't relationships. The problem isn't that there's multiple nations in our world. The problem is undefined love. So let's define it. Where should we go to define love? I know. Let's go to the originator of love. Let's go to the, to the one who invented love. The very the very one who engineered love, who designed it, who is in charge of it, who makes it work, who gives promises, who, who wrote the owner's manual on love, let's go to God and see what God says about love, and we're going to figure this thing out. In 1 John chapter 4, uh, a, different, a different letter of John, but John's still the author, John writes, love comes from God. Love comes from God, right? So God is the founder of love. He's the source of it. It comes from him, and he's the fulfillment of it. Everything that is love, is true love, is God. And his very nature is permeated with love. Um, The next verse, John writes, God is love. So anything God does, no matter how much you understand it or don't, no matter how much you agree with it or not, anything God does is love. God is love. There will never be a moment 
in your existence when God is not love. There will never be a breath you take when God is not love. There will never be a sin you need forgiven when God is not love. There will never be a prayer you speak when God is not love. When you want God to act and he sits on his hands, he is love. When you want God to speak and he is silent, God is love. When you want God to accept your independent, selfish, insubordinate opinion, and he redirects you from that in a way that hurts, God is love. When you want to hang on to something and hold it tight and not let it go, and God wrenches it from your grip, God is love. When he sent his own son to die on the cross in agony with your sins and the sins of the world, God is love. That, all of that is what we mean when here at Hold the Word Pflugerville we say, God is good. That's what we mean. There is never a time when God isn't good in the sense of love. Just ask the disciple John. All right, John is writing this letter. He's writing about love. Uh, Jesus called John to be his disciple. John followed. Jesus demonstrated in front of John and the other disciples Jesus' love for, for sinners, for, for dirty people, for prostitutes, for people who needed healing, for, uh, for proud and arrogant church leaders. And John observed this. And, and like the other disciples, John fell in love with Jesus through the years, through the process. Then John or Jesus instructed John, here's what real, true love looks like. It, it can be difficult. It can be messy. It can be inconvenient. It can be a call to give up your most treasured possessions. It can ask for your life. And Jesus did that. And John witnessed it. And then Jesus asked John to do the same. So John writes, this is verse 5 now, I am not writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning. I ask that we love one another. John uses that phrase from the beginning twice in these two verses, from the beginning. So, so he says, I'm not writing a new command. We've had this command to love from the beginning. Well, when's that? Beginning of what? I've, I've not given it to you now. It's from the beginning. Carrie, you can go back. We're still at that. Now, now, you, now you ruined my punch there. I'll, I'll work around it. When is from the beginning? Some Bible scholars say, well, from the very beginning, back from like creation, from, from the very time that people existed, God wanted us to love. I have no problem with that. 
I believe John's being a little more specific than that. And he's saying, he's mentioning a time here from the beginning when there's this, this new command to love. And if you know your Bibles, maybe you're with me here. Here's, uh, I'll, I'll read it when it, when, when it happened, this, this new command. These are Jesus' words. And identify when Jesus said these words. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. When did he say that? It's reported actually in John's gospel in chapter 13. When Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples, the night he was betrayed, and this is the setting of the Last Supper, right? And it's there that Jesus is with his disciples. He's having his final meal with them. And he says, I'm giving you this new command. What? So God didn't want people to love before this? No, not at all. But this is new. It's, it's like an upgrade, okay? It's updated. A love existed before. God wanted people to love before. But now he's upgrading that that existence of what kind of love it is and his expectation of love. And the upgrade is this. Look at the environment where Jesus gives these words. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. And he washes the disciples' feet and he gives them his body and blood in the sacrament. And he goes to Jerusalem to his death and he sacrifices himself for them. The world had never seen this before. The world had never experienced God sacrificing himself for for sinners who betray him. That is the kind of love that John is talking about. Uh, The kind of love that that, that Jesus calls John to and the kind of love that he calls you and me to also. Now, here's the problem. All right, now let's see the Peanuts cartoon, Kara. Right, classic Peanuts cartoon where Linus is trying to convince Lucy that he can be a doctor. And Lucy tells Linus, you can't be a doctor. You don't love mankind. And Linus, this is his reply. I I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. So, I don't know if this is true of you, but for me it's really easy to be here in church on Sunday and it's a nice place and we're thinking nice thoughts and pray about world peace and thankful for the the company you work for. You pray for harmony and health in your family. Appreciate church. And on the way home, I can be such a complainer about the very people that I just looked at at church on Sunday and loved and told to love each other. And I complain about you. I I do. I'm being honest. I do. And maybe you complain about me or someone else in the church too. And, And then we make it to Monday. We can grouse that our company, our department in the company is the one to receive the budget cut, and why isn't it someone else's? Only for the reason that we just don't want it to be ours. And we get irritated with our family members because they, they don't choose our plan for 
for supper that we think is the best plan, but they choose someone else's. And then we, we become a bit specific with our love for people in the world, and we just we like to love the kind of people that are like us, but, but not love the people whose political viewpoints are different than ours. That's, I love mankind, but it's people I can't stand. Loving this, this spherical orb, this planet floating in the galaxy you know, is kind of so abstract. It's, it's really easy. Oh, sure, I, I, love, I love mankind. But when that planet gets personal and steps on your toes or pulls in front of you in traffic, right? When that planet has a face and it's, and it's the person you've lived with for the last 27 years and, and that you have your pet peeves and they just push your buttons, right? When it's, when it's your boss who just is acting like a jerk. When it's your teacher or coach making demands of you that are unfair, ah, that's, that I can't stand. Right? So it's when humanity has a face that it becomes very difficult for us. So Jesus talks about this. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus tells numerous parables or stories about, about this, about people who are not willing to love others the way that they themselves are loved. Right? The parable of the unmerciful servant, right? His, his debt is forgiven, and then he goes off and he beats a guy who owes him money. Right? There's multiple stories and parables of Jesus about people who are not willing to love others the way they themselves have been loved. And it's a firm message of Jesus for us about love. If you do not love others and show mercy to others and treat them the way that God treats you, if you hurt others, you're hurting God. If you offend others, you offend God. If you want to unfairly judge others, then God will judge you, period. That's the truth, and it's from Jesus' own lips. Jesus has high expectations about love. Love everybody the way that God loves them or forfeit God's love to you. Forgive everyone the way God forgives them or God will not forgive you. And we confess with Linus, yeah, I love humanity, that mankind, that's easy, but I confess there's people that I can't stand Sometimes I confess, God, I haven't loved that person the way that you love them unconditionally. And I, God, need your love, please. And that's when we give thanks. God loves everybody, even that other person. But I'm even more thankful for this God loves everybody even me, even you too. So there's no exception for God's command for us to love, love everybody the way that, that he does. And uh, that's okay because it's a high expectation, but God never gives a command without giving a promise. And so listen again in these words for the promise of God, his command, love everybody the way that I love them. 
high standards for love, but also high standards of what he's going to provide so you can show that love. Love from the beginning, John writes again, two times here. Two times John in these two verses says the words, from the beginning. Uh, that, that is the promise. From the beginning. John is saying, I was there. I was there when Jesus said, a new command I give you. That was the beginning. And, and from that point, the very second when Jesus said those words, all of his high expectations for you were met. There has never been a time when Jesus has not fulfilled his promise to love you to the end. And with that promise, he equips you to love others the same as he does. Um, here's a verse that I love, 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 to 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. That's where it starts. Jesus died for all of us. That's where love starts. And therefore all died. All right, we die to our selfishness. We die to our need to be loved by everyone. We, we died our own interests. That's how we die. Jesus died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Christ's death and resurrection change us. What Jesus does makes me different. It, it connects me with him, his death and his resurrection. And now it says Christ's love compels us. So Jesus, I'm not the start. I'm not the beginning. I'm not the creator, the inventor of love. But Jesus is. It starts with him. And it ends with him. He's the fulfillment of love. He loves to the end. It starts with Jesus. It ends with Jesus, but it involves me. That's Christian love. Christ's love compels us. There's Jesus, and he wants to show his love to this person, and I'm in the middle. And Jesus loves them through me. That's, that's Christ's love is so compelling I'm in it, Jesus. Put me in the middle. Involve me. I'm compelled. That word actually in the Greek language has a, has a, a flavor to it of, of being captivated. Jesus, I just can't do anything else. I, I'm captivated by your love, and I'm captivated by the thought of loving others with your love too. That's what Christ's love compels us means in that verse. All right, let's go to verse 6 now, because this takes us there. There's something else that's captivating about this kind of love. John expresses it in verse 6. And this is love, that we walk in obedience to his commands. Newsflash, love isn't doing whatever you want. To whomever you want. However you want. Right? That's undefined love. God defines love right here. He says, when you, when you think about what love looks like, what is loving behavior, look at what my commands say. Listen to what I, your God, says. That's love. Uh, I found this excellent quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer um, is a pastor and a leader. Uh, 
in Hitler era and uh, was, a, was a theologian and, and, a, and he wrote about discipleship. And here's what he writes about a, a defining love. Uh, it's very helpful. Listen closely. I have one of these sentences that I'm going to put up on the screen for you. He says this, I either know about the God I seek from my own experience and insights, from the meanings which I assign to history or nature, that is, from within myself, okay? So I know about God because of how I interpret things. Or I know about him based on his revelation of his own word. I know about him based on what he tells me in the Bible. Either I determine the place in which I will find God, or I allow God to determine the place where he will be found. If it is I who say where God will be, I will always find there a God who in some way corresponds to me, is agreeable to me, fits in with my nature. Right? If I'm inventing my God, he's going to be a product, he's going to be a mini-me. But if it is God who says where he will be, then that will truly be a place that at first is not agreeable to me at all. That does not fit so well with me at all. Do you get that? If someone outside of myself is telling me how me, myself, and I should behave, at some point, it's going to contradict with what I think. And if you're a Christian and you believe in the true God and you're subservient to his word, you're going to say amen to that. You're going to say, you know, God, sometimes you and I rub. And I'm glad for that, God. Because if we never rubbed each other right the wrong way, if, we never, if God never rubbed you, if you never experienced a command of God that you want to resist, that you don't enjoy, then it's all you. Then you have no God. You're your own God. And good luck with that. So think of love in this way then. If you like every person you love, if you always enjoy Loving others. If it's always something you look forward to, keeping a command of God, then I'd say you're not really loving God's way, but your own way. Your own chosen, specific cupboards or compartments of love that, that you like and that are easy. But if you discipline your children and it truly does hurt you more than it hurts them, and if you have that difficult conversation with a friend about your friend's sinful behavior, and if you make a commitment to, to people, to a church, to a, a civic group to, to volunteering in the community and it doesn't go the way that you want but you hang in there anyway and you persevere. If you discipline yourself with a New Year's resolution to be a better caretaker of 
of your, your, your body, your time, your... And it's not always fun. Then you're loving God's way. Then you're loving it a way that you're allowing the God who's outside of you to, to correct you, to tell you a way that isn't naturally your own way. And that, that is the love that the Bible says wins when it says love wins. Final point. I, I said before that love is the greatest trait of Christians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says that. Love is the greatest command. When people ask Jesus, what's the greatest command? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the greatest truth, and it's the greatest trait of the church. So think about this with me. What if we made love the greatest trait of our church, of this church right here in Pflugerville? We made love the greatest trait and not a building and not a program with a school that's going to serve our community. It's going to be awesome. That's something, but it's not the one thing. The one thing, the greatest trait of this church is love. Jesus' love for us and everything that we do and all the programs that we create and everything that we line up and every cent and dollar we pay our pastor is aimed at this, that we want to make sure that we know and that we share that Jesus loves sinners. And then, when we're convinced of that in our hearts and it's a a driving, passionate conviction that Jesus loves each of us, and he loves the people in our community, we will love them too. We will love them so much that they'll, they'll come and they'll visit us here in worship, and they'll leave, and they won't be saying, man, that pastor, he had the coolest plaid shirt on today. Ah, oh, those, man, those, that music was rocking. Man, that, that coffee, they, they can't believe that at that church. They, they drink Starbucks coffee. I'm going back there next week. Hey, those are all good things and important things, but not the most important. We want them leaving saying, wow, I met Jesus today. And I met a bunch of people who love Jesus today. What if that is the greatest trait of our church. If it is, my friends, then we are doing great. Let me show you. Here's some evidences of we're doing great. Um, first of all, you can advance one slide and stay there, Kara. Here's a, here's a I, I received some things yesterday. Here's one of them. Um, came from U.S. Postal Service, and it's... Uh, Someone who's participating in our Bible reading plan uh, just sent me an email and said, hey, I want to I buy some books for, uh, for, our, for our church. What, what can I buy? 
uh, I said, well, I, I, I'm going to want to treat people in our Bible reading plan when they kind of make it to a new level of their Bible reading. And I have these books that I want to give to them. Um, and I could use a few of those books. Yeah, this, this person just uh, bought like 40. And they arrived at my doorstep. I can't wait to give them out. And then, uh, what else came yesterday? Oh, uh, another box came to my doorstep yesterday. It was a box of, you might be holding some of them right now, um, worship folders. There's, we have a volunteer at Holy Word who folds all of those and then inserts all of the seven inserts that are in the worship folder today and then puts them in a box and then drives them to my house so that I don't have to go drive down to Holy Word Austin and pick them up. Here you go, Pastor. Just, you don't, I don't want you to have to worry about that. Thank you. And then someone brought soup to me last night for supper, and it was really good, and I, I was feeling kind of cruddy all week and kind of sick, and that I, I think Jesus cured me with chicken dumpling soup last night. I'm just saying. Uh, that's love. Let me show you some more examples. I got some pictures for you. You see, look them on the screen. Love is introducing your children to Jesus. And we do that here, right here. And teaching them, baptizing them and teaching them in your home. Love is, let's keep going here, picture by picture. Love is, love is Richard Sanchez wearing a suit. Yes. Isn't he looking dapper there? Looking awesome. Right? Love is greeting our guests as gifts to us from God. That we're responsible for and we're, we love them so much. We're going to greet them warmly. Love is Richard Sanchez wearing a neon orange shirt. And everybody else. When I first came and I said we needed uniforms for our our greeters. And uh, by the way, this wasn't my idea alone. Cindy White was was an accomplice in this. But uh, God bless you all for wearing those orange shirts. Um, I think it drove our ladies crazy and eventually we got rid of them, but love is wearing an orange polo. Um, Love is all the packing and setting up and taking down that uh, 17 to 20 volunteers per Sunday here at Holy Word do so that we can be here on Sunday morning and share Jesus with people. Uh, That's love. Love is taking care of our our widows and our elderly. And uh, here's, here's Pat. Uh, putting a ramp in Sandy's garage in her house, um, in her home, taking care of her. Love is teaching those kiddos every Sunday. Our children's church staff, man, I do that three times a year. I don't know how you do it, um, but here's a picture. and right, That's loving, not just loving kids because they're your own, but loving kids because they're our own. They're, they're part of our church. Love is, I was talking about prayer requests before. There's one Sunday's prayer requests on the connection cards. That was about a year ago. Um, Love is noticing our brothers and sisters in our church in need and having a compassion and concern for them and and saying, can you pray for them? I care about them. Um, Those are prayer requests on connection cards. Love is, should be another picture there. Ah, love is attending church meetings.
Love is being engaged and involved in what your church is up to. And when your leaders ask for your involvement and your participation and your opinion, giving it. Because it's important. Love is going to a church meeting, knowing that's probably going to be boring, and I admit a lot of times they are, but it's going anyway. And, it, and it's showing your leaders that you appreciate their leadership. Love is those people standing in front in that meeting, the Jonah Pauls of the world, our, our president. Um, the Don, Pastor Patterson is standing in that picture, our senior pastor. Um, love is our leaders, our volunteers, giving their time, their, their precious time to our ministry um, so that we can share Jesus with people. I tell you what, if love is the greatest of traits for a church, then I believe we're a great church. May you appreciate the love of Jesus in a new way today as he talks about love. I give you this new command. My goal is that you appreciate Jesus' love in a new way and that that then inspires you to love someone, someplace, something, sometime. Love in a new way this week. Because love is the greatest of God's commands for you. But also the greatest of God's gifts to you. Amen.